Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the program tonight. I'm also the producer and director of PTSD 911, the documentary film that's currently in production. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But first, I want to say that tonight we have very special guests, Jeff and Sean Thomas from First Responder Conferences. I'll introduce them in just a minute. And I want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. This program tonight is pre-recorded. My schedule for the film is getting quite busy and doing the live events has become more and more challenging to fit into my schedule. So I, whenever I have an opportunity to record an interview with a guest, we do that. And so going forward, uh, many of these will be pre-recorded. So, but we also still encourage you to participate in the chat. If you are watching this on YouTube, please uh, sign in and, and let us know where you're watching from, uh, whether it's and also, if you are in the first responder community, if you're in law enforcement or if you're uh, a dispatcher or if you are in the fire and EMS services, let us know what agency type you are with. We would greatly appreciate that. And uh, so just leave that in the comments. If you have any uh, comments or questions, put them in the comments and we'll get to those uh, through uh, at a later date, perhaps uh, if I'm not able to partake of the, the live uh, conversation, uh, partly because uh, tonight I am actually in uh, Dallas, Texas area. I'm working with the Garland City Police this week, uh, filming with them. They're doing some amazing things in the area of wellness and mental health. And so I'm here in Texas all week to uh, meet with them, to meet with other agencies in the Garland area that are doing great things in the area of first responder wellness. So uh, that's where I am tonight. And so, uh, but anyway, we have this great program, uh, a little bit update on the film. We are continuing to make progress on the film. We just announced earlier this week, very excited to announce that the National Fraternal Order of Police has come on as a sponsor. They're providing a small grant for us to continue the work that we're doing. We're so thrilled to have their endorsement and their support for our film project and continue to look for organizations and companies who want to partner with us to provide support and uh, for this film. So if you are a part of an organization, you are part of a company and you would like to throw your support behind the film project, we would greatly appreciate that. And uh, just send me an email. Uh, I'll put the email in the comments below in the show notes so that you can uh, reach out and and let's start a discussion on how you can get involved to get uh, to help support this project. And if you're just an individual and you say, hey, I really like these live programs. I really like the, the guests that you bring on. I want to throw you some support. We would appreciate that as well. I'll put a link in the show notes. Please click on that link and give your support to this film. Uh, we are totally supported by uh, people like you and organizations that believe in this project. And uh, so we want to continue to develop these programs and bring them to you free of charge uh, but we need support to do that in order to continue that uh, also to get this film produced uh, takes a lot of effort a lot of money to do that and so if you can throw some uh, a few dollars behind that that would be fantastic there's a link in the show notes below for you to do that tonight i'm really privileged to have jeff and sean thomas with us uh sean a few years ago saw the need to put on some an event where she brings the first responders together. And so she launched first responder conferences and Jeff is an integral part of that as well. And they put on these conferences around the country. I had the privilege of attending one a few months ago here in Maryland and uh, really was impressed by the, the lineup of speakers that they had and the interactions and the response from the, the attendees was fantastic. And tonight, Jeff and Sean talk about those conferences, why they started them, and and what they expect them to accomplish, uh, and and what and what they're doing this year. They're rolling out even more conferences this year, so they'll talk about that. Uh, so anyway, thank you for joining us. Be sure to uh, leave in the chat where you're from, and we'd love to know that. And uh, here is my interview and my conversation with Jeff and Sean Thomas. Well, Sean and Jeff, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. Thank you for being willing to come on the program and talk a little about 
a little bit about what you guys do and uh, where we are today. So, so first of all, how are you? Good. We're good. Uh, like Jeff was just uh, mentioning earlier, it's pretty wet here in Washington. So we're trying to stay dry, but other than that, we're doing pretty good. And Jeff, you're, you're retired, correct? From law enforcement. I am. I retired in June, uh, 2020. So for a little while. Yeah. And so I want to get both of you just to kind of share a little bit about your background and who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, I was born, raised and stranded here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, pretty much grew up right where I worked. Uh, I started in 1987 ish and, uh, did 32 years with a sheriff's office, large sheriff's office. Um, I had a career that was probably resembles a lot of people's careers. I worked patrol extensively for seven, eight years. And then I was on the SWAT team for 18 plus years. Uh, so, um, we've seen a lot of stuff, seen, seen a lot of, you name it. I've seen it. Um, you know, as far as the uh, PTSD goes, I, I, you know, there's so many opinions on it. Um, I've heard doctors say that everybody who is involved in first responder stuff probably has some sort of PTSD. Um, and it obviously varies from person to person. I, I have, I haven't suffered any of that in my career. Um, Although I have done things to self-medicate myself and had to deal with those. And luckily, you know, the ramifications of that didn't hurt my career, didn't hurt me personally, and I've gotten through it. So, um, you know, it's the trouble with the whole thing is it's, there's no black and white answers. It's, uh, everybody has a different solution and the, the, uh, I guess the fight is to find out what that solution is for, everybody on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so you both are involved in law enforcement, Sean, you are still active duty, right? Yes. Um, yeah, just like Jeff born and raised, um, lived here my entire life. And, uh, my dad was a police officer. He retired after 30 years. Um, and that's pretty much what ultimately brought me into law enforcement is just being in around it every day. Um, it was just a, a normal thing for me. So uh, when I graduated, I worked for the airlines for a little bit and then decided I wanted to be a police officer. And I was hired in 1997 by the King County Sheriff's Office. Just like Jeff, uh, I worked patrol, uh, street crimes uh, for Metro Sound Transit. Um, now I am a, a detective in I am the only one in our wellness unit. So I am our wellness and resiliency detective. So currently my job is to create and implement wellness programs for our department members and their families. And then I'm also training Serena, who is a eight month old lab to be our therapy dog. So that is what I'm doing with the sheriff's office. Wow. So how long have you guys been together? How long have you guys been together as you know, both law enforcement? So we've been married for 21 years. <laughs> um, well, congratulations on that. That's a, that's a rarity these days, especially in the law enforcement community. Yeah. Now we, uh, we've been married for 21 years. I think, you know, being in the same field, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, if you're both police officers, you're never going to make it. I think uh, by knowing what each other does, on a day-to-day -day basis, it probably helped us in the long run, be able to discuss and talk about things or say, I'm not in the mood to talk about it. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I, I think it's been helpful. Um, but yes, at times, you know, we both have, uh, type A personalities and <laughs> everybody wants to be in charge. So that can be difficult at times too. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any comments on that, Jeff? <laughs> I think it's, it gets easier as we get older. I mean, I, I kind of thriving now, not having to be in charge. It's kind of nice. You know, uh, one of, one of the benefits of retiring, uh, 
it was such a great job for such a long time. And then it really kind of soured towards the end of my mm -hmm. career for, you know, obvious reasons and numerous reasons. Uh, just got to the point where I, I kind of hit the wall and, and, uh, felt like I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, I mean, I could have, but I just, just, it was a very uncomfortable occupation. It got to be very uncomfortable. It just got to, you, mm -hmm. you know, when you're, when you're used to going forward, hundred miles an hour with your hair on fire and taking care of stuff. And then all of a sudden that's halted. It's if you're that kind of a person, it's kind of hard to deal with. So I really sympathize with everybody who's still in law enforcement. Cause right now it's just not, you know, perhaps it's going to get better uh, again or the circle. You can only hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, just the thinking sometimes is, is questionable. I mean, you question it as a, as a, as a, proud American free citizen, you question what people are thinking sometimes and you're in it. I just don't, I think sometimes it, society doesn't really know anymore what, what it takes to be free and, and enjoy your community and et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of gotten weird and I hope it comes back. And I know you guys live in a part of the country that's especially been impacted by some of these these challenges in law enforcement and leadership that uh, doesn't always see things as they really are. Right. I think the political politically correct term is it's very liberal. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That. You see my eyes dilate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't we won't uh, go deeper into that to cause any more additional trauma than what we need. <laughs> we need so, uh, but um, I know that um, you guys are have both been involved in first responder conferences, and and uh, I want want you to kind of share with me a little bit, share with our audience, you know, you know how that started, what motivated that you to start these conferences, and I've had the privilege of attending one of those and it was really, it was well attended and it was just amazing. The speakers that you had and, and the, the, the content that is provided there was, was pretty significant. And so I want to hear a little bit about how that started. Sure. Um, I always, uh, feel bad for Jeff when I tell the story because I tell it over and over and over again and he, he just, yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, in 2006, I became a member of our peer support team. So I started responding to all the critical incidents that our deputies were involved with and helping them and their families through that process. Um, fast forward to 2015. Uh, Jeff, like he said, had been on the SWAT team for about 18 years at that point uh, on the department for about 27 years, was undergoing a lot of organizational stress amongst cumulative stress and um, was coping with alcohol. It got to the point where Jeff realized that he needed help. And I said, great, now what? You know, we, we really didn't want to go to our department and say, we need help with this because we weren't sure what was going to happen. So we searched for a confidential resource. We found one and, and Jeff uh, got the help that he needed. But during that whole process, I realized if we're both first responders and we don't know where to get help, there's got to be other people out there. Mm. So, uh, my peer support captain at the time was aware of what we had been through and suggested we, and when I say we, he meant me, uh, put on a mental health and wellness conference for first responders and their families. And I thought, well, sure. How hard can a conference be? <laughs> and I realized that, uh, there was a lot of work putting on an event like that, but we had around 150 first responders attend. And at least five people that I know have reached out for help. And that was just substance mm -hmm. abuse alone. So it was clear to me that there's a lot of first responders that were suffering in silence. And I knew my department at the time and other departments just really weren't proactive and didn't have programs, um, health and wellness programs. Mm -hmm. So uh, first responders from different states reached out to me and said, hey, I really like what you're doing. Can you put on a conference here? And so then I just try to work with the local boots on the ground folks to make that happen. Because every time we have a conference, people reach out for help. Um, I've had people tell me it was the best training they've had in however many years that they've, they've been there. I've had people call me and tell me that it saved their life. And so I became really passionate about it because of all that. And I just try to keep on moving forward however I can um, because it's, I know it's needed. 
Um, and we've had 26 conferences now and our mm. 2022 calendar is full um, and our 2023 calendar is halfway full already. So mm. wow. um, obviously there's a need for it. And so I just, you know, it's, I enjoy the work. I enjoy meeting so many great people, networking with so many fantastic uh, first responders um, and just getting to know what people are doing so I can help other people and help our department. Mm -hmm. Jeff, what would have been your experience like if you'd have had something like this earlier on in your career? Would this have been something that would, would have really benefited you that, that maybe helped prevent some of the, th the experiences that you had? Uh, well, certainly. Um, I guess I was lucky enough to have my career go from, you know, it's, it's, the mentality has changed a hundred percent. You know, I, I started in the era, you know, where we were all tough and you didn't say anything and you just waddled through it and went to the bar with the rest of your buddies and did that kind of thing. Um, and obviously it's come full circle. We, we, you know, things started about the time I started in law enforcement where people were starting to realize, you know, that there's an issue here and there. And then as time has gone on and I think, as life has evolved, it's got probably worse on first responders because there's just so much stuff going on out there. So, um, it certainly would have helped to have somebody tell me, you know, these are the things to watch out for. And, but, but I don't think there was anything really in place for helping the first responder back in 1988 or whatever. Um, and those things have developed over this short period of time which is great. Um, you know, we have vetted resources for first responders, places that we know where they accept and I don't know if you want to say cater to, but they understand what first responders go through if they're having issues and how to give them some solutions to solve them. Um, you know, What's been the my issues if I if I got into it a big you know deeply which I'm not going to but uh, mm -hmm. you know I, I grew up in the drinking culture I you know that was, that was our era you know that's what we did when we were kids right I mean we wanted to be grown up so that's what, how we got into it nobody mm -hmm. forced us into it or anything just the way it was you know and that's those cultures have evolved and there's different problems now but my, mine I sometimes I I don't want to blame it on it but it certainly contributed to it mm -hmm. and then you know it's just like every other you know, addiction or whatever you, when you have, when you get to a place where you need to medicate that condition, you go to what works for you, you know, your, your coping mechanism and, and mine was drinking, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's different for everybody. I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's probably all kinds of unbelievable stuff going on out there. Where people are doing to cope. So, um, yeah, it would have been nice to have some sort of program in place back in when I started, but that just didn't happen. And luckily it's evolved and, you know, the stigma of everything has gone away to the point now where people, I think in our professions can feel safe if they think they have an issue. Mm -hmm. Sean, how has the, uh, the conferences and what you're doing in wellness, how has that uh, impacted your work as a law enforcement officer and even your agency? What's been the well, response from your agency? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they're fully aware of, you know, what I do um, on my own time. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I received the position is I'm doing this stuff, you know, 24 hours a day. And um, I, I, it, it's great that I have, I mean, even when I got into the position that I'm in now, it was nice to be able to find all of our internal and external resources available to our first responders, because I think that even though that Jeff says that the stigma is, is reduced, I still think that there's a stigma out there. I think that, um, but I think that people are, uh, will reach out for help if they know there's some external resources. I say, I know that there's a lot of first responders that just don't trust their department and some, mm -hmm departments give them reasons to. Sure. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that, uh, just being able to call somebody or have a point of contact and say, Hey, you know, I need assistance. Can you help me knowing it's confidential is huge. Mm -hmm. 
So how do you, when you're, you know, the wellness coordinator and you, you do these conferences and so how do you take care of yourself? I'm, I'm sure you get bombarded by, you know, lots of people and people reaching out for help and, and, you know, how does that not wear on you? How do you kind of manage that? Well, um, I had to learn boundaries. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think I do pretty good, um, with, you know, knowing what I can take on and what I can't, um, you know, I, I'm always there for people, but you know, I mean, I, I realize that not everything is an emergency all the time now where, you know, I was just like, Oh God, you know, I have to get to this right away. And, you know, I, Somebody contacted me the other day and I said, is, is this emergency can, you know, wait for, you know, depending on what the situation is. But, um, so, you know, I've learned to do that over time and, uh, but I mean, you know, just, you know, I, you know, it kind of seems weird, but this is my hobby. You know, it's, it's not something that I have to do. Um, the conference work is not something that I have to do. Obviously I get paid, you know, well enough to, to live and, and the conference stuff is all, I mean, you know, I have volunteers helping. And so, um, it's not like it's, you know, keeping us afloat, uh, because every conference just puts on the next conference. So, mm -hmm. but it's just, again, it's a, it's become a hobby. Um, and it's something that I enjoy doing. So. And obviously you're passionate about it because the thing's growing and, and things are really moving forward, you know, and, in, and, in, in the work that you're doing. So, uh, which, which I think is awesome because I think it's helping so many people, the people I've talked to that have attended and have been to these things have really benefited from that. And so I think what you're doing is, is, is pretty cool. Um, so in, in thinking about putting on a, an event like this, how do you guys figure out what is needed in, a particular city or in a particular area, you know, how do you figure out who's going to be speaking and, and, and what, what first responders need to hear? Um, well, so we get contacted by people saying, Hey, I'd like to have a conference. And so then they, we work with them to try to find a venue and, and make that happen. Um, we have to have like a local, uh, boots on the ground folks to, to sure. make it make that happen. Cause you know, I live here and I, I know nothing about Maryland. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how we kind of move forward with where we're going, um, wherever somebody feels like there's a need and they're passionate about it and, and want to help us get there. And then we have over time have just kind of figured out, uh, a lot of people like the personal stories, um, with their post-traumatic growth uh, which comes along with it because, you know, earlier, just like Jeff said, it's, it's not a one size fits all. So we really want to put out as many different, uh, mental health and wellness tools to get first responders through these difficult professions. So we try to find, um, people that do yoga, people that do mindfulness, people that, you know, I mean, just not, you know, getting on a treadmill. Like, I mean, yes, we all know that we need to do physical activity, but, uh, I think that people need to uh, try other things and find what works for them. So uh, therapy might work for me. A treadmill might work for Jeff. So it looks different for everybody. So we try to find speakers that have some type of different mental health tool mm -hmm. um, to run it by our first responders to maybe get them in the mindset of, Oh, well, maybe I should try this. This is not working. So I, I, I didn't know about float pods or I didn't know about, um, EMDR or, you know, different, different types of tools. Um, so that's really kind of how we, we put the conferences together. I mean, we, we believe that there's some things that are super important, like financial stuff. Um, mm -hmm. We know a lot of first responders that work a lot of overtime and live outside their means. And so we really want to, you know, make sure that people are financially fit. Uh, well, that's such an important thing is for, for all of us, no matter what profession you're in. But I know just from speaking with first responders around the country that the financial aspect is just a, a, a real challenge, you know, especially in today's world where you have, 
you know, inflation and rising prices and, and, uh, and, and when you grew up in a culture, perhaps that just taught you to borrow, 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 and here's a credit card to pay off your stuff, you know, that can just create huge problems. Is that something that you guys have, have kind of worked through as a couple? Well, I, well luckily she had me. So no, <laughs> but, um, now we've stayed on top of that, luckily, but just mm-hmm. in, in the conference situations where we we've met people and we have a few specific financial uh, professionals that come and speak and it's very eye opening. The one thing I was going to say was that, you know, she keeps the conferences diversified, you know, as far as like not being just for the police or just for fire or just for whatever. I mean, we try to have several subjects at each conference. And the good thing about that is that some people like, let's say finances are going to say, this is so stupid and simple. What? I don't understand why they're putting this in there, but hopefully somewhere in the conference, they're going to get something that they can use because you hear that all the time. You're like, Oh, this, this is, you know, this is grade school math stuff. Yeah, sure it is. But, but 92% of the people that are here are looking at it going, Oh my God, I don't have any money for an emergency, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so that's a good, it's a good uh, example. But like I said, the diversification of the, of the conferences are what I think Sean's looking at the most because there's so many interests there and so many different first responder cultures there Mm -hmm. that everybody can come out of it with some sort of help you know, mm-hmm. even if not every single topic is in their ballpark, you know, how can we get we as in the first responder community and people like you guys who are putting on these conferences, how can this these things influence leaders in first responder agencies? I mean, that's, you know, you know, John Maxwell, leadership guru says everything rises and falls on leadership. And so, you know, if you have an agency that doesn't recognize, you know, there actually, actually there's an agency in Virginia, a, a fire agency that is very well known and they basically cut all the funding for peer support because they're like, we don't need that. That's crazy. <clears throat> you know, and, 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 and the guy who was leading it, he's, he's retired now and we're going to actually do, do an interview with him. You know, he was like, are you kidding me? Look at what's happening in our culture. Look at the, the, the number of suicides, the number of, you know, people you know, with substance abuse issues, and we don't need this. That's, that's just a great, how can we influence those leaders in first responder communities to make these things a priority? Well, I mean, I think that they need to attend a conference. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, I mean, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that we Fine. And I, I understand the higher in the chain, the more work you have to do and meetings and things like that. But we really encourage um, the leadership to attend these conferences because they really need to hear from the boots on the ground folks of what's going on. Um, and I know my department's starting to do listening sessions. Mm. And so I, I think it's good if, you know, we really have to be able to have them open-minded and listen to what their people are wanting and needing. Um, because it's, you know, I just, I, I think that they're so busy doing their own thing that they're not realizing, uh, how it's affecting everybody on, on the, on the ground there. So, yeah. um, I don't, it's one of the problems that I, I've noticed, obviously we're in the Pacific Northwest. And so we, we don't really have a complete grip on, the way things run in all different parts of the country. And that's one of the, one of the obstacles you run into when you're trying to put on a, a conference in Mississippi or something in smaller counties and they don't have any money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so their first priority is to try to survive money wise. And so unfortunately the mental health aspect of this wellness, health and wellness is just, it's kind of self-explanatory, you know, and then it, I don't really want to say this out loud, but it's, it's getting political, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you, if you don't take care of your troops or, you know, your people or whatever, I mean, politically, you know, you can sink yourself, I guess, Mm -hmm. which I I would guess that'd be an asset because there, there obviously are issues and you can't just say that we don't have the money to try to, you know, to come, you know, to answer that. So, um, and like I said, each department is different and every city is different in how they're managed. And, you know, some, 
you know, police chiefs are at, at they're at the will of the mayor or the mayor's folks, and so their their or, hands or, are, or unions or labor guilds or whatever. If some mm-hmm. some places don't have that, you know, they're in right to work places or whatever, and they they just don't have the uh, the strength of the group, I guess, or whatever, mm-hmm. because you know the people are first and foremost need to keep their job to mm-hmm. survive. And, and so they're not going to push the issue, even if they have a problem, which that is a problem, right? So, I mean, if they're suffering and they can't get help, that's, that's the problem. So I, I guess that's what we're trying to, you know, awaken the, the world on that whole thing, which is kind of happening. I mean, I, I honestly think that, you know, it's as a politician, as a police, even if you're a police politician or a, a fire commander or whatever, you can't afford not to have something in place for your personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the, at the very bottom line, they've, they've shown it's cost effective, you know, sure. you know, you know, you, you want to, you know, keep people healthy. You're going to save money. That's just the way it is. So, I mean, yeah. And, and unfortunately, there's people that are maybe outside an agency who are controlling the purse strings that don't always understand that. You know, if you spend the money up front on wellness and taking care of that and to, to mitigate those things, you're going to save money on the back end and having to, you know, either hire new people or send people off to you're going to have workman's comp claims and all these other things that can happen. Uh, and And sometimes civilians who are holding the purse strings don't understand that sure and that's a secondary thing right i mean first and foremost is people to stay healthy i mean but uh you know it's obviously and and like i said it varies from place to place and it's hard to keep tabs on all that and and sometimes you say how how can you not want to do something to assist your personnel and you just don't understand because you know coming from the Pacific Northwest, the, the people here, the, the leaders here, they have some issues, but they, <laughs> one of them is not, you know, taking care of their, of their personnel. So certainly money's an issue everywhere, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we have it pretty good here in the Pacific Northwest because I think the leaders recognize that, you know, we're, it's, it's a large place with a lot of people crammed into one place and there's a lot of stuff happening and, and, there's a lot of traumatic events and first responders are in the middle of it every day. And, you know, it's just going to be natural human humanness to, for some people not to be able to get through them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what, um, what's the next, what's this year look like as far as conferences and what, you know, where are you going and, and who are some of the, the speakers that you you have coming mm-hmm. that you really are, are excited about? Um, well, we have uh, eight conferences this year. Our first one is next year or next year, <laughs> next week in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and then we are going to Spokane, Washington, San Luis Obispo, California, Twin Falls, Idaho, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Cobb County, Georgia, and Phoenix, Arizona. So that's what this year oh, a big spread of places from alaska yeah. to georgia it's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so that's what we're looking at and um quite honestly I, one of the ways that we uh keep the the conference costs low is that we try to use local speakers um because it, it is really expensive to put on a conference mm-hmm. um and so and the other reason why we try to use local speakers is because it's there's some connection uh, when we leave, that connection is still there. Mm-hmm. And those speakers that are local have a lot of resources. Um, you know, I mean, if they're engulfed in mental health and wellness, I mean, they, they know what the resources are and how to get people help. And and so it just, it really, when we have um, people, you know, that are speaking that are in in that city, uh, it's, I think it helps in the long run. Um, you can also understand better the culture of that community, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because they can talk about, you know, what their deferred comp is or what their, you know, I mean, they, they have an idea of what's going on in in that state and in that area. So, um, I think it definitely helps. And again, the connection because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, this guy's right down the road. So, um, yeah. Yeah, very cool. 
Uh, so big question for you, Sean, when are you going to hang up the towel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot, but (laughs) no, I mean, we, you know, we've, we've discussed that. We have, uh, 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 two boys, one's a junior in high school and one's a senior in high school. So, um, until the, the last one graduates, you know, I'll be working um, not going anywhere. So mm-hmm. trying to make sure to take care of them. And then after, uh, you know, after they graduate, then I'll reassess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always a challenge, especially when you're raising kids and then you have, I mean, we're, we're in the place now where our kids are gone and they're adults and our daughter just turned 26. So she's not on our insurance anymore. <laughs> and that was a kind of a traumatic thing for her. And, uh, but our son still is. And so we're kind of thinking through that and, you know, my wife needs to stay employed until, because she holds the insurance. And so we kind of, kind of understand that, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, but so, yeah, there's, there's challenges of, and I'm sure in law enforcement as a law enforcement couple, how is that raising kids, you know, in, uh, today's world as police officers. Yeah, well, I always <laughs> joke around that we probably ruined them, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they are fully aware of, you know, what goes on, uh, on a day-to-day basis in the real world. So I think that's good. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, what do you, we used to joke about that, you know, dinners when these guys are like eight, and nine and, and, and they, they've, they're, they kind of have had the adult mentality when they're young because they almost were forced to, unfortunately, because but some of our conversations are pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, if we, could, we probably could have made a sitcom out of it. But, <laughs> um, our, our kids are great. They're um, trying to say this in a succinct manner. Uh, they're very uh, uh, responsible. They're very courteous. They're, they're, they're you know, we try, we, I guess we tried to raise them like our parents raised us, which is one, always my question here. There must've been a couple of years or a couple of generations there that weren't parented because there's some exceptions <laughs> to that nowadays. But, but, and, but I think our kids are, are uh, on par kind of in the same thinking that we are about the world and the way things are going. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're proud of them and uh, feel pretty good about where they're headed as far as going into adulthood. Yeah, they're very patriotic and they're both looking in um to going into the service. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. That that that's Not gotta make you proud. Not the police. Okay. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Are they like, no, we don't want to have anything to do with that? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. They uh I mean it's sad, right? Because it's it's a honorable position. Sure, absolutely. And it's it's needed. And unfortunately, I just can't recommend them going into this line of work right now. And, and it's kind of sad to say that because I know my dad kind of felt that the same way, but now I feel like it's even worse. Um, you know, I, I wish I could recommend it. I just at this point can't. Is there a challenge just in, in your area there of, of recruiting? Is there a recruiting challenge? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, yep. They uh, just started they finally realized that they had to give bonuses to get people to apply, which is sad. And then the people that do apply, I mean, I, you know, out of five people, maybe one Mm. moves forward. It's just, um, my office, I sit across the, a guy that does backgrounds and it's just, I mean, it's crazy. Like Mm. trying to get (laughs) anybody good anymore. And then things have changed. Like from like when I got hired, you know, you couldn't do any drugs. You couldn't do, you know, now the things that they (laughs) are laxed on, it's just like, wow. Um, but yeah. Well, with like things like weed being legalized, I don't know in Washington, it's been legal for, for a number of years. Right. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know. I, you know, (laughs) they they don't don't tell us any specifics. That's one of the reasons why I gave it up because it, it just became so, you know, in this area, the the answer to everything is to you know decriminalize it. So mm-hmm. we we don't know on, on a local level about. I don't. I you know, and I I'm fairly intelligent. I I could never figure out. I mean, what's the, what is the rules now? You know, I mean, you can go buy it and have it, but you can't sell it. You can't transport it. You can't use it anywhere else. And it's just like you know. And then they say, well, the 
federally, it's still illegal, you know? So I, I don't know what that means to a local police officer. So it's very, very frustrating. And it seems like, unfortunately, in our area, we run into several examples of that all the time where, you know, it's, they just make it so ambiguous for anybody who's in law enforcement. It's just, I don't know how they do it nowadays. Mm. So. I'll never forget it. This was not in Washington, but I was in Portland, Oregon a number of years ago and I got a rental car at the airport and I was like, that's, this thing reeks of weed. <laughs> yeah. And so I took it and the next day I was driving, I was like, I, I can't, I'm getting sick. I was physically getting sick. There was so much, so strong, strong of a smell. And this, I think before Oregon had legalized it. So obviously somebody came and was, you know, hanging out. And, and so I took it back to the airport and said, look, you guys need to give me another car. Cause this thing is reeks of weed. And he, he stuck his head in the car and he was like, Oh man. Yeah. That's really strong. <laughs> so I didn't open anything. Maybe there was some in there that <laughs> was, there was no left over, but Obviously, somebody had, uh, you know, pretty big quantities of weed in the car before I had it. So a little bit of a transport car, probably. or something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so um, so kind of kind of wrapping up here, what what do you guys look for in the future? What what's your trajectory for the conferences for yourselves? And and and, and the big question is, where's law enforcement going? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to retiring someday. <laughs> I think that as far as the conferences go, uh, again, it's it's a hobby. It's a passion. I think I will do them as long as people are attending um, and want to be a part of it. Um, yeah. I enjoy retirement. Uh we're probably going to move to a different part of our state because it's this place is feeling kind of weird. Mm -hmm. So that's probably in the future. Uh, as far as law enforcement goes, I, I, I don't know. It's uh, like I said, I, I, if I was going to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I don't know if I would, would do it. Mm -hmm. It's been a very, very lucrative, you know, at, at times very fulfilling job, but last, my last mm -hmm. couple of years, it was not, you know, mm -hmm. I just felt like they were looking for somebody to indict and they did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, luckily it wasn't me, but it could have been at any moment. That's the problem that the police officers face is they, you know, what one bad decision or one decision that's questioned, even if it's not bad, you know, you're looking at, you know, our identification is gone now. I mean, we just, you yeah. just, you don't, you don't know what to do next. And it's very, very frustrating. I'm sure it's horrible for, I mean, I can't imagine the stress of doing your job and, having that over, you know, just everybody scrutinizing everything you do. I mean, I, as a filmmaker, if I'd have someone, you know, looking over everything I did and, you know, pretend, you know, potentially suing me for every little mistake I've made, you know, that would be terribly stressful. I wouldn't do this job. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't know how people are doing it, but they, they are luckily for the regular citizenry, you know, cause that's, you know, mm -hmm. you depend on, for safety. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's the thing that it kills me is that I just think we've forgotten what, you know, what, what our system's all about. And it, mm -hmm. you know, what we need to do is create, uh, you know, responsible citizens again. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's the basis of everything, you know, and that's the basis of the problem now is that people just think they can do whatever they want to do. And I, and I understand, you know, it's, it's America, it's free. That's what we're about. But you know, freedom's not free and you have to be a responsible mm -hmm. citizen first. And, you know, there's lines in the sand, regardless if people think they're not. But if you're not going to allow your police departments and your law enforcement people to go out there and police that, then mm -hmm. you're just, you know, it's chaotic, you know. Sure. It's going to be anarchy. I mean, well, really. I mean, you're seeing that, you know, with with all these mobs of people breaking into stores and stuff down, you know, I don't know if it happened up in your area, but. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's just crazy. No, and that's that, that thing's got to be stopped. And there's got to be some deterrence for that kind of stuff, or else why wouldn't you? Human beings aren't wired to do the right thing all the time. They're just mm -hmm. not, you know. And it seems like the politicians nowadays think, well, we're we're going to make everything lawful, and you can do whatever you want to do because they're going to make the right decisions. Well, it's, it's just not part of the way humans are not wired that way. They, right. you know. I mean, like I said, sometimes presence is all it takes to get people to do the right thing. And mm -hmm. you eliminate all the police, you're not going to have any presence. And it's just, you know, I get wound up about it 
and I try not to, but it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to stand and look at it, you know, and watch. I got buddies I talk to every day that are still out there working and they just sh- shake their head and, you know, like, and it's just a horrible position to be in to want to be able to do something to help the community service, blah, 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 all the things that we stand for, but then have to say, yeah, maybe it's better that I don't enter into this situation because I might get fired or I might mm-hmm. get arrested, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's a horrible place to put law enforcement people into. Mm-hmm. So for both of you, what do each of you do to relieve stress to, to have fun, to, to kind of put some of these, these stressful things aside. What, what do you guys do? Well, I like, the- <laughs> I know that's why I told Jeff the other day, I'm like, Oh man, I have all this. I, I'm just really, I need to get on the treadmill. So, um, and I was telling him, I go, this is my new mindfulness because I turn on like a Netflix show and I get on the treadmill and I just go and I don't think about anything else. So so that sometimes works for me. Um, you know, obviously, uh, or I I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think that we, we both could definitely do a better job of, um, self care. Uh, I know that I, try to like, you know, tell myself, okay, well, I'm going to get a massage every month. And, um, but honestly, I mean, life just gets in the way, you know, yeah. and it's hard to set aside that time to do the things that you need. I mean, I, I don't think that we neglect ourselves, but we could probably do a better job for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but life is just so busy with, you know, two kids and a job and conference. And, um, so yeah, I, I know that's probably didn't answer your question and mm-hmm. really has made me think about mm-hmm. the things that I need to do better. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we get into different, uh, parts in our lives. Like right now we have kids that we're taking care of. And, um, so once they leave, I'm really going to have to find something to do. Um, Jeff, what about you? Oh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you the same thing. You know, we try to eat right and try to exercise as much as possible. It's a horrible time of the year right now, so it's not like you spend a lot of time outside. And if you do, you get wet. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's right. I mean, we're we're kind of in the part of our lives where we're getting our kids to adulthood and figuring out colleges and that kind of stuff, and it it, it does take away from your, you know, self care mm-hmm. stuff. It does. I mean, it, it's. You know, we, we're here. We are at the end, we were at the end of the year, and we, of course, like everybody else, okay, we got to start eating better, and we're gonna have to dump some weight. And you know, the same thing. We're doing exactly the same thing everybody else does. Um, as far as the future goes, I mean, I, I've always, had, I always kind of told her this. I had this weird thing in my head that you know, one of these days, everything's gonna be fine and taken care of, and it's just gonna be easy street. You know, and that's just, you know, that's that's a joke, right? Because no matter where you are in life, there's always some stresses or some sure. stuff going on. So, and then I was, I think I was in the shower. My, my, I used to have a sergeant that would say, hey, I was in the shower this morning. And I just, I thought of, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking as you get older, you know, may, life, maybe there's some ease to it, but then I kind of laughed at myself because I think it's more like apathy. <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you just kind of, unfortunately have to, the way things are, you have to sort of, uh, put stuff out of your mind or behind you or whatever, and just not think about it. Cause well, at least for me, it, it dry, you know, drives me crazy. I read the paper. I, I always make this joke, you know, I'm obviously old because I still get the paper <laughs> today, you know, but she always gives me a hard time because I get so angry at stuff that I read. I mean, cause you know, and of course here you're, you're talking about a very liberal place with liberal media and it's just, you know, you're just, it just, sometimes I just have to water it up and walk away, you know, before I explode. So, yeah. It's, it's hard not to do that when you're that way. You know? Yeah. I think sometimes, uh, actually last night, my wife and I were watching uh, a program on YouTube. We've, we follow this couple who's a, uh, they have a sailboat. They sail around the world and have the YouTube channel and that's how they make their money. And they were in some island down, I think, Tongo, which is like down off of New Zealand, the middle of the Pacific Ocean someplace. And, and there was a guy there that he was like on their boat. And he was just like, this is such so, such a great place because there's no internet, there's no phones, there's just wind and water and waves and there's no stress. And I'm like, 
maybe that's what we need to do. Buy a sailboat and go to Tongo yeah. and just, yeah. you know, enjoy the, because you can then just go wherever you want to go and just do whatever you want to do and don't have to worry about the, the rest of the world. So maybe yeah, that's an we, answer. Uh, we planned a couple trips this year. Um, like I said, my oldest is, uh, Earl, this is going to graduate. So it's one of those things where we're trying to get all the last minute, you know, family is a, as far as a unit of four, uh, mm-hmm. doing things together. I mean, I know that there's other opportunities. I'm just saying like, sure, you know, sure. um, but we planned a trip to Cancun and we planned a cruise to Alaska. So, um, nice. we're looking forward to those trips just to unwind. And I think it's so important to have that kind of stuff that you can look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just have the, that here and now, especially with COVID and all the other crap that's going on, you, you can really get bogged down with, you know, just the here and now. But if you have something like that to look forward to, I think it's, that's something my wife and I, we were planning something for our, our 30th anniversary this summer. And uh, we're, tr- we're planning something fun for that. And uh, it, it's something you want to look forward to and to, to give you some hope, right, for the future. So I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. Um Jeff lost his dad last year and I lost my mom last year. So mm. it really made us start thinking about, okay, well, we need to, we need to, we need to enjoy now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause you never know. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, both of you, thank you for being on the program and for sharing a little bit and thank you for your work with first responder conferences and, and I look forward to attending another one sometime as soon as I can. And as I travel around the country and we'll certainly continue to spread the word about what you guys are doing and, and making a difference. And uh, so I want to say as a civilian, thank you for your service and for your work in your community and keeping it safe and healthy. And, and thank you for taking care of others as well. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing. Cause it's super important. And I'm glad that you're actually doing it. Someone, someone needs to, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, not, if, if not me, who else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you so much. And with that, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sign off and, uh, we'll, we'll catch you again next time. So, All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Jeff and Sean, thank you for joining me tonight and being a part of this program and you as our, our listeners and our viewers, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your support and you being involved with uh, our programs here on PTSD 911 Presents. Whether you're watching on YouTube or on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you don't miss an episode. And we have many more coming up in the near future. So, so watch your emails for upcoming events and upcoming podcasts and shows here on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate it. So please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. In the meantime, be well, take care of yourself and take care of others around you. My name is Conrad Weaver. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. Have a great evening.